0: Hello Sweet dogs. we are new to who? Whether you don't know the old or only the new We are the chaps with suggestions for you I'm Stephen I'm Dan And I'm Paul Hey! <laughs> We've got Paul Cornell this month, incredibly Paul, thank you so very much for thank joining you. us on New to Who
1: Well, thank you for having me along
0: <laughs> <laughs> If uh, any of our Sweet Dorks need any kind of introduction And I'm sure they don't, Paul Cornell, writer... Well. <laughs> <laughs> writer of a number of television uh, Do- Doctor Who stories, writer of some of our favourite New Adventure yeah. Virgin books when from we the 1990s. When we were lost in the
2: wilderness. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and more recently, writer of his own range of uh, psychic police uh, set in London stories, which, by the way, I just read uh, The 7th Street, which which I loved, by the way.
1: It was brilliant. Oh, cool. Thank you. <laughs> so, Paul Welkin. Did you like the Paul. surprise guest appearance? Uh, I won't spoil it, but I, yes, I did. I <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't believe you uh, managed to uh, wangle that one in. That was great. <laughs> I got
1: I got a big um, circle around it because this is a, a real person who pops yeah. up in my novel as themselves, <laughs> and my cop, my copy editor put a big red circle around it on the manuscript in huge letters saying, "Does he know?" <laughs> and did he? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, 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 you know, as if I do that without asking. <laughs> so good. Oh, now I'm intrigued. Oh, you're going to
0: have to read it. Ah, so good. Okay, right. so Paul Cornell, thank you very much. Um, we're doing today, Dan, what are we doing? Well, it's um, it's one of my um, old favourites. It's uh, The Seeds of Doom. Oh, With yes. uh, Tom Baker and Elizabeth Sladen. Wonderful. So this is the, penulti- of the ultimate oh. story, rather the last story, of season 13. Yeah. Um, Maybe considered by many to be one of the greatest seasons of Doctor Who of all Hmm. time. Paul, what do you
1: think? Well, this was the second Doctor Who story I ever saw. Oh, wow! Yeah, having joined in as a small child with um, the brain of Morbius. And as a small child, I had a terrible phobia about plant life. (laughs) So... My parents were really worried about this one when they saw the trailer. Mm, I, wow. I just about got through the, the Brain of Morbius alive and, <laughs> and unscathed. And um, yeah, I was I was absolutely hooked. <laughs> you know, I'd been terrified about Doctor Who for such a long time, and the Brain of Morbius had sort of done something to my insides as a result. Yeah, scared and, you, the, scared the hell out of you. I imagine <laughs> it's a scary one. Well, yeah. And, and The Seeds of Doom was a really well-pitched mm. horror story exactly mm. for my age group. You know? Um, it was exactly yeah. the right thing. So I have very fond memories of it.
0: Mm. Oh, good. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, uh, So our TARDIS team, we've mentioned just in passing that it's uh, Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor mm. and Sarah Jane Smith, um, played by the most incredible... Very charismatic. And wonderful yeah. and lovely. Elizabeth Slayton. Ah, oh, dearly departed. Um, I'm going to ask the question of each of you at this point. Is this the TARDIS team? I Yeah. I mean,
2: like, it's pretty classic. When they've got Unit and Harry, I mean, that's pretty pretty amazing. But mm-hmm. you don't, in my mind, you don't really need them. This this is the core, right? They're just so great together. They're, they have fun together. Sure. Sometimes they yell at each other and <laughs> terrible things happen to them, especially Sarah. But it just, yeah, I think they're, they're maybe the most iconic duo
1: I, I I don't know if there is a the but <laughs> what what I re- what I really love about these two is how much they are co-leads. Yeah. That, yeah. Um Tom Baker clearly when he came into the part deferred to her and always regarded her as his touchstone hmm. and and she responded in kind, having had a very bad time with John Pertwee. Mm. And um, they—they're clearly working so hard together. It's really wonderful to see so so many little bits of business, so much good stuff between them. Mm. Um, they—they they fix so many little things going along, and Sladen is just extraordinary. Um, uh, you know, she's she's clearly thinking about. Meaning every single moment Mm. and running around holding up narrative and plot. Um, It's just tremendous stuff.
2: Yeah, he didn't extend that sort of courtesy to all of his, his co-actors.
0: Aren't Not but, the yeah. most uh, gracious or perhaps uh, uh, generous of actors, but, but definitely,
1: definitely. working together on uh, yeah. this one. Oh, man, just such well, great I,
0: I think, chemistry.
2: Well, I
1: think a lot of what he held against the actors who played companions for him in future was that they weren't Elizabeth Slayton,
0: <laughs> 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 Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of my favourite all-time lines in this, um, in terms of the Doctor and, and the companion, is the way in which the Doctor introduces Sarah Jane as his best friend. Uh-huh. It's such a touching and really? sweet scene. Yeah, I must have missed that. I think that's, that's amazing. Yeah, in, in episode one, it's just, or is it two? I'm not sure. Um, or could be later. In fact, I'll have <laughs> to cut that. Um, but yeah, it's just a beautiful, touching scene. And I think it's an, uh, a window into the esteem in which um, Tom Baker held Elizabeth Sladen.
1: He he keeps a really um interesting mental list of who his of who his best friends he introduces he introduces k as his second best friend at one point so i think he always keeps her in mind yeah <laughs>
0: But yeah, definitely I think in my mind um, and I think it's because like yourself, Paul these were probably the first Doctor Who episodes I saw way back oh. um, when they were on the repeats in on the ABC uh, and it was um, Tom Baker and Elizabeth Sladen as the fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith and I think as my first, well you never really get over your first do you? So um, <laughs> yeah they're, they're, I think in my mind they're definitely the definitive um, TARDIS team
1: I, I feel it's held up really well um, a lot of Hinchcliffe classics mm. don't really hold up in certain respects that well. This one is structured brilliantly mm. and has lots for the adult viewer as well. Um, I do think, though, in terms of new to Who, um, there are some problems in that it represents Doctor Who as having a format it never had before and never has <laughs> since. <laughs> yeah.
0: We'll get onto this later, but uh, it's very much the it's very much Doctor Who and the Avengers.
1: Well, I just, it, it, like at the top, the doctor is just blithely working for the World Ecology Bureau. Yeah, yeah, just
0: out of nowhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, and um, he's obviously, uh, Robert Banks-Stewart regards him as somebody who can be called upon by the authorities just like that. And um, <laughs> it does offer us, because the World Ecology Bureau um, they uh, try and kid us that they're based in a building which looks entirely like BBC TV Centre. <laughs> um, it, it does afford us the wonderful sight of Doctor Who walking in and out of BBC TV Centre in the picture.
0: <laughs> it's very meta, isn't it? You mentioned uh, Philip Hinchcliffe there. It might, might be worth uh, just touching on our production team. Um, and we've mentioned them before and we'll mention them again. Philip Hinchcliffe and, and Robert Holmes is our script yeah, editor. Hinchcliffe and Holmes. Um, perhaps responsible for some of the strongest stories over mm-hmm. a three-year period. Um, in the mid-70s with Tom Baker as the lead. They've definitely got a, a style that they sort of stick to. And
2: mm. Holmes has got a very uh, sort of style that he always sticks to. I mean, they, they used to he's very reliable. They used to bring him in for like the occasional regeneration or when they weren't sure what was going on, they're bringing Holmes because he's a, a stayer.
0: Well, you, you look at the number of times that Holmes essentially reboots the show um, throughout the 70s, um, and it's, it's really a testament to his uh, skill as a writer and the esteem in which he was held by um, by the BBC as well on the show.
1: Robert Bank stewart who wrote these episodes, um, were was the Hinchcliffe production team's um, choice To write the big end of season story at the end of each of their three seasons, Mm -hmm. and this is the only time that actually works out. Mm -hmm. In the in the in the first season, um, his terror of the Zygons gets bumped to start the second season instead. Um, This season, Seeds of Doom does indeed end the season. And next season, they want him to start work on what would become Talons of Wang Chiang, but um, he can't. He's on doing other stuff. And he goes on to an enormous um, career as a showrunner. Hmm. And he was always a a big, well-respected television writer before Doctor Who came calling. Hmm. And I think that's a lot of what um, Robert Holmes, at the, during the Hinchiky years, tried to do, bring in people who knew what they were doing with television. Hmm. I, I think... That's why it, one of the reasons it holds up so well. It knows exactly the resources it's got and doesn't overplay it. It follows Robert Holmes's ideal shape for a six-parter, that is, um, four and two is what he usually mm-hmm. says, that mm. he tries to do a four-parter followed by a two-parter that just shares all the same sets and characters. Mm. Um, that gets really smoothed out by, the, by Talons of Wang Chiang, the last two episodes of which are sort of different but not hugely so but here it's really clear that Robert Banks Stewart does a two-parter set in the Snowy Wastes and Mm. then a four-parter set in England Mm -hmm. Um, and doesn't even bother to use the the same sets. Um, (laughs) uh, But um, it also looks brilliant Mm -hmm. because of the direction. Um oh, they yes. and and the design that their the visuals are trying really hard to support the narrative in every single respect. Um, I I also like the comedy. Um, there is um, uh, the presence of the um, wonderfully um, Oscar Wilde old lady, <laughs> who says the, the the make of the car is a material.
0: A material. <laughs> <laughs> to a car, she's wonderful.
2: That's like one of Steve's favorite bits. <laughs> it really and, is. And,
1: and at the end, Hinchcliffe got, had a bit of a wobble about it and suggested cutting her out. Oh. And Robert Banks Stewart um, stood up for it and absolutely said, no, no, no that way. stays in. <laughs> and he's absolutely right, because it makes it. He does. Um, having having the, the edge of comedy alongside the horror, which meeting the butler. Oh, no. um, you will get to that. We'll get uh, to him. I want to talk dreams, about Hargreaves. yeah Yes, very yeah. much so. <laughs>
2: So you, and so, you mentioned uh, Douglas Campfield, our director, who's that's his last stint for uh, for Doctor Who. And it what, is. A, what a
0: way to go out. And he, he's—I've mm-hmm. said before that he's my favourite classic yeah. Who um, director. Um, and I think you know it's, it, this is one example of many that elevates him to that um, to that realm for totally. me. His his direction in in this is so unbelievably pacey, especially it's the
2: especially the other, the ice station stuff in the first mm-hmm. two. I just sure. that stuff so great. It's yeah, so, definitely. Um, scary mm-hmm. and claustrophobic and wonderful
1: well I, I I think there are a couple of difficulties notably that the um, the plant creature suddenly gains a voice for one seed and starts talking <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> uh, and uh, also that it's not destroyed by cleverness in the end they just blow it up they with do. some bombs yeah. <laughs> well, you,
2: and unit does it for them which yeah. I always found disappointing. The unit comes in and just, oh, yeah, we'll do it. It's like, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do it. <laughs> right, so, after, yeah, we're, and with that, I think we're uh, heading into spoiler territory. Oh, so, yeah. uh, our plant pod in the corner, our mysterious pod is just starting to wobble. I can see it hatching. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Derek!
0: All right. Okay, we're in spoiler town. Okay. Let's do this. Let's go. So... <laughs> Um, Let's talk about um, initially the, um, I think, the star of this piece, which is the villain, the camp (sighs) villain. And, of course, every Doctor Who story has to have a villain equal and opposite to the Doctor. He's only as good as who he faces off against, right? He is, isn't he? And in this case, isn't he facing off against one of the immortals of of Doctor Who villainy in Harrison Chase? How would you describe Harrison Chase, Dad? Well, he's a black-gloved moustache twirler (laughs) without a moustache. He's also,
2: also, for some reason, that doesn't really even need to be in there. He's also a synth lord, which is amazing. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: I I love the Doctor and Sarah standing there listening to um, him play his electronic (laughs) organ and just the expression on their faces is kind of Okay, <laughs> and
2: they're also a bit like, "Oh God, are we going to have to listen to more of this?" I'd rather be eaten by a giant plant. <laughs> I love that bit.
1: It is a- just a few years later, he could have expressed all of his pent-up frustrations by being in the Pat shop, boys. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so, and he's just so sinister. He's a bit
2: mastery in a way. He's got the yeah. He's always um, and he's also there is a bit of that. You're right, leaving yeah. the doctor to um, some kind of um, improbable long-winded death that he could have avoided by just shooting him. So they, got a, they put a yeah. gun on
0: him so many times and Bridget was like, Bridget kept just kept shouting, like, shoot him! <laughs> <laughs> he's very Bondian in that regard, yeah. isn't he? Like a super villain who uh, doesn't like to do the dirty work himself, leaves it all to his henchmen or, in this case, his uh, automated uh, mulcher.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he wears gloves throughout. Yeah. And um, he's got this thing of um, loving plants and being really not keen on the ways of the flesh mm. so um he's called camp um the actor was camp freddy in the italian That's Becky, right. Yeah, 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 exactly yeah. right <laughs> so very much cast to type but it's interesting that he's asexual that he's um, played as not even liking human... Not just not liking human beings, but not liking Mm. animals. Mm. Um, That he's ceased to identify with with his whole species, and his whole class, even. Mm. Um, That's really interesting. And it's it's only very slightly played, but I think it takes him away from being a... um, uh, a, a, a negative or ridiculous stereotype in that um, his sexuality isn't what it's coming over as, clearly. Um, I mean, why would he have one? Uh, it's uh, it's very interesting. It's a lot of interesting choices going on there. Uh, the gloves say a lot. And it's even even to the point where he is perfectly willing to for plants to take over the planet
2: and eradicate all animals and for him to be a part of that if for him to die as long as plants get to inherit the earth, he seems perfectly willing. It's like right
1: to the yeah. extreme. <laughs> And um, so he gets to do these wonderful big l- villain lines like, I could play all day in my green cathedral. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's wonderful. Um, I'm going to ask a question, though. What happens in episode five there when he's communing with the crinoid? You mentioned he's asexual. Oh. I don't know how that scene is meant to be played or read. But is there is there an undertone there that he is perhaps uh, se- engaging in a sexual congress with the, with the crinoid? So
2: this, this is when a crinoid like in, does it envelop him or yeah. just no? The camera just goes away to somewhere else and then it comes and then back it comes, and he's lying exactly, yes, yeah. possibly post-coital bliss. His,
1: agro, his agro-sexuality, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's there. I, I think you're right. I think it is.
0: <laughs> but he's not alone, of course, because uh, his right-hand man. Oh. Amazing <laughs> Boise from uh, from Only Fools and Horses it's only John Scorby. Chalice Scorby
2: <laughs> <He, laughs> Scorby makes this for me Like Harrison Chase is a great mm. villain but I just love every time Scorby's on screen I just love he just chews up scenery
0: I think those it's so. because Scorby and the Doctor are on screen for together for longer than um, yeah. than, than Harrison Chase and the Doctor and so the the, the um, chemistry I suppose between the two um, matures um, it gets a chance to mature but it, uh, John Chalice is fantastic I think in think
2: that hair Did, that that turtleneck that you know he, the, the he, BBC way he holds his
1: gun I just love all of it it's fantastic he's just a he, he and he and Tom Baker obviously got on really well in the pub because, afterwards from, yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, not only do, does Tom play to him a lot and say his character's name a lot Tom Baker always loves a good character name that he can repeat <laughs> a lot <laughs> Scorby, and um, it, it, uh, during the filming of this, um, because he wanted to see an earlier episode go out, he stopped the um, cast bus, got off, went to um, <laughs> went to a house, knocked on the door, and said to the family, just before um, I think it was an episode of the Android Invasion started, "Hello, I'm the Doctor. This is Sarah Jane, and this is Scorby. Can we come in and watch Doctor Who?"
2: Oh, I've never heard that. So good! Holy
1: Jesus! <laughs> that's
2: amazing. They must have gotten in, surely. Oh, who would?
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd refuse that? Amazing. Um, but Scorby's wonderful, isn't he? I think um, he's also very um, typical of the time, or at least very um, timely, in the sense that he's, he's a mercenary, a British mercenary, who seems to have come back from um, a tour of duty in Africa. Mm. Um, I like that
2: little bit of development. Yeah, end, that wasn't even really like didn't even seem to be like it didn't have to be there, but it was just like a no. great touch. So they gave him a little bit of a character development. Yeah. I, I think
0: it's one of those moments in this particular story where you have moments of realism that come into the sheer, you know, stupidity of the mm. idea of a giant plant taking over the world, and you know, having characters like Harrison Chase in it as well. There's that sort of frisson between the fantastical and the sort of very grim and dark, which I think um, Robin Robin Bank d- um does. Very very well but I think Bob Holmes and Hinchcliffe are, pro- are very much known for as well
2: mm. Mm. you've got that Scorby's like rough edge and he's like a soldier of quite working class mm. to like Harrison Chase's super arch very upper class yes. super removed guy living in a giant mansion yeah they, they play well together they do other. don't they and then when you put him next to the doctor it's just especially when they're trapped in that house it's just so, they're just so
1: great together mm. yeah and uh, it, it's sort of like a, a bursting into class lines isn't it Fair I much I mean no. Yeah, because uh, Harrison Chase has got a setup where the posh people are at the top mm-hmm. and uh, Scorby does the dirty work. Mm. And uh, the doctor sort of collides into the middle of that. Mm. And he is, at times, at his most lordly and at times, at his most thuggish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, um, uh, and also the butler. The butler just makes it. Because um, he, he, this is the point where our unfortunate scientist finds that it's, it, it, the story makes it absolutely clear to him at that point that the butler is just going to go along with yeah. mm-hmm. helping out him turn into a giant plant mm. because the master says so and is willing to bring him slices of raw meat on a silver <laughs> tray <laughs> And, I mean, this is high Gothic. This it's is very wonderful much, yeah. stuff.
2: Because when I was watching, yeah, the, when I was watching it, I was like, Hargreaves is just in the background, listening to all this. He knows his master is clearly evil. Scobie's in it for the—he's a mercenary. Yeah. Uh, you've got Dunbar who's in it for the money as well, and then you've got Kilo who's just trapped. He's got no way out. Yeah. Uh, but what Hargreaves doing is he just lived a life of servitude, and he doesn't know any other way. He doesn't know how to how to leave or how to tell
1: anyone. I'm just like Hargreaves, why don't you? And then he dies. This is like, and and the fact that the fact that he continues to address Keela in such a polite manner while allowing him to be transformed into a vegetable, oh my goodness, that's amazing. And it's also both both great horror and funny at the same time. Yeah. Mm. It, it's almost 2000 AD or Hammer in its underlining <laughs> of moments of extremity for both funny and horrifying. And and the fact that we've got Dunbar um, being a a traitor to his species, in effect, um, selling out the human race for money, um, that gives one a giddy feel, a nauseous feeling of jeopardy for him and about him. Um, He's obviously not not going to make it very far. And the fact that he turns around and tries to be brave about it. Well,
2: you don't mess with the World Ecology Bureau, an agency which, which appears to be grossly over-resourced in this show. <laughs> yeah, didn't there's one point where um, Thackeray says, Well, send our best agent. It's like,
0: Of the World Ecology Bureau?
2: <laughs> Maybe you guys should call the cops, you know, like
0: call Interpol. Leave it to the pros. But yeah, Dun- Dunbar's another example. We mentioned earlier where Scorby's, um, you know, a frisson of the sort of the dark, grim, real, nasty world coming into this high fantasy. Dunbar's really another example of that. You know, he's sort of a civil servant who's been passed over, he's not going to get ahead in his career, he's not going to you know, sort of progress his his uh, um, political ambitions or you know civil servant ambitions, and and this is the only way that he can sort of think to get ahead. Yeah, get his own. Yeah, and that that mm. motivation is very real in in a in a in a story that is bonkers. Um, I, I still can't figure out Harrison Chase's um, motivation other than the fact that he is he's unhinged. He loves plants, <laughs> he's a Doctor man. Who story. He's, he's a Doctor Who villain in a Doctor <laughs> Who story. Uh, Dunbar and Scorby are those sort of uh, real, um, I guess, symbols of the real world encroaching in the real nasty world encroaching in on that fantasy world Mm.
1: and uh, in the monks this um sarah is as always so loyal and knows what's good and what's bad and has her compass firmly set at every moment Mm. and i love that scene between Mm. her and scorby where Scorby is basically trying to planning to make a swift exit and leave everybody else in the lurch Hmm. and is at the same time calling her a cowardly woman yeah (laughs) And, and she tells him she is going to stand firm and save the doctor and is not going to run and so ends it with by saying what's that you said about women (laughs) and <laughs> um, most feminist moments, it's tremendous. It really is, And, yeah. and there's a, re- a recent reading which says she got all, all girly and weak in this season. Um, and, you know, we are two stories from her leaving. And this is a big moment for her. You know, this is... This is um, first-generation feminism. This is her simply telling Scorby to um, to go uh, take a flying one.
0: Yeah. I think I don't think that Sarah is um, a weak character, and I think at no point during her tenure in in Doctor Who, uh, either under Pertwee or um, Tom Baker's Doctor, is she seen that way. I think what we do see in season 13 is that she's put into increasingly more and more uh, dangerous situations and horrifying levels of peril. But at no point does she appear weak or in any way... um, I guess anything other than a, an incredibly strong character, and she always, always well, has agency.
1: She's never. Yeah. Well, she, she doesn't always have a lot to do. Not always. But she's. Well, I think it's her. I think it's her last two stories that are mm. the problem. Actually, I think. I think in Hand of Fear, um, you know, she gets Taken possessed over, yeah. and all that stuff, mm. and that really should have been a greatest hits tour for mm. her. Yeah. Mm. And and in Mask of Mandragora, um, which um the actor actually held on for. Um, you know there was some thought of her ending up in the um in the compost in this one uh, and uh because she was originally going to leave in this story um but then she saw the script for Mount master mandragora and said no i'll stay <laughs> um just because i want to do that one uh and and one of the very few companions in doctor who who gets a choice about when to exit it must be said <laughs> <laughs> and um uh, but uh, the number of people who nearly ended up in that compost—I know—in um, that um, Sergeant Benton was originally yeah. going to be in this, and that, and he would have been the unit soldier who gets composted.
0: <laughs> that would have been a terrible end I, to she, a very fluffy character. Even
1: when well, Hinchcliffe keeps trying to kill him, because we leave him apparently dead <laughs> at the end of the android invasion. That's as well. right.
2: <laughs> um, even when, even when they put Sarah
0: in that mulcher,
2: she didn't. She didn't scream. She didn't scream or cry mm, that's a good point. She was just trying to get out.
0: Yeah, I yeah. Love that. I think that's a very conscious choice, acting choice by Elizabeth mm. Sladen as well. No, yeah. she, this character won't scream. She'll get on with the, with the business of trying to get out. Yeah, I but think yeah, you're
2: right. That mulch gets used a lot. Like, I want to. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at that compost. It's,
1: not gonna be pretty. <laughs> it, it, it's. I mean, that is another wonderfully nightmarish gothic thing. The uh, compost maker. That um, it threatens our heroes, as you say, many times. And also they can't quite show it in operation, not fully. No. So um you know, we and it's obviously waiting there for the villain right at the end. I mean that's you have know, got you've got a super villain and, and a composter. and composter. Um, you can't Jacob's have the thinking in many ways. It's how he'd have wanted to go. <laughs> yeah, well,
2: that's, well, yeah. I wouldn't think that would be out of the question. He wants to feed the plants. Like, you know, he wants to be part of a
0: glorious whole. Of course speaking of plants can we get onto the crinoid and the idea yeah. of this this is uh like yourself paul a monster that as a kid absolutely terrified me um we've seen a few times in doctor who uh, villains that for the most part um so alien to us in a kind of lovecraftian way where we're unable to commune with them or that we don't quite understand what they're about um the sort of sheer um i guess will to survive that sort of takes so it takes over um humans like keeler and and just wants to propagate its seed all over the planet. Um, it's, it's a very sort of uh, base instinct kind of um, model uh, of a villain. And it's not even really a villain. It's
1: more like a monster. Um, I, this is why I didn't really want to hear it talk.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, once you, once you give it a voice, it becomes more, yeah, more of a villain, like a nefarious mm. intent.
1: And um, it's only for one scene, and I think perhaps it's because they want it to convey some information about... exactly Its aims, yeah. you know. And uh, that's perilously close to that and gremlin being interviewed in Gremlins Two. Going, what do we? What does anyone want? We, we, want, we want to meet <laughs> one
2: <laughs> Um But don't they? Don't they do? Good, I think they did a really good job with the and Not only did they those tentacles coming in the window mm. were really great, but then because I, I always thought they would just leave it there, but then they they got the the CSO budget to make that giant that giant monster towering over the mansion.
1: It really, really good. And though, a really though. good stop-motion yes. big crinoid as yeah. well. Yeah. You really don't expect it to be that good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I certainly didn't. And I think what really helps is the fact that they used... OB for the outside broadcast, um, so videotape rather than film. So the CSO marries yeah. up a lot uh, nicer than it would do um, on the film. Yeah. Apparently yeah. they by like, hand of fear got pushed back, so they
2: got the OB, they had their OB facilities available to oh, shoot on okay, video, yeah. and then they could use more CSO. That's why the monster's so great.
0: Yeah, it really does look amazing in this. I mean, it could have it could have been disastrous. We've seen yeah. it before, haven't we? But the that image, and it's burned on in my mind, yeah. not least because of the target cover novelization, but of that yes. massive crinoid over the house. Yeah. Uh, it's
2: glorious and just imagine it sort of swelling and just bursting and then exploding with a you know, million seeds it's mm. just a great image in my mind that yeah. you don't actually even get to see
1: this has of course I mean Doctor Who does steal and this has that bit was taken almost from whole cloth from the Avengers episode The Man Eater of Surrey Green oh ah, yes Steve's, Steve's lighting up <laughs> I'm a big fan definitely yes yeah <laughs> And uh, uh, that that does end with a giant plant covering a house and, uh, but it, it's also the pods what an amazing playground yeah. creation the pods and holding somebody's arm down in front of the pod that's about to germinate and yeah. I must see what happens when the crinoid touches human flesh wow <laughs> yeah. you're right
0: that is something that you could you know consider um, you know kids are uh, trying to replicate on a Monday morning uh, in the playground of <laughs> a recess time it is such a good uh, idea
2: I love even when they find it in the in the in the Antarctic with all the polystyrene snow flying around, and then they bring it back to the base and they're. they're debating what to do with it and instead of sort of waiting and getting getting sort of approval or taking it back they just like let's just start working on it let's just let's do it and um and then that, all that disaster happens but that when that monster comes when the tentacle comes out of the pod it's just so great mm-hmm.
1: the the pods are like the pods are like ticking clocks mm-hmm. in themselves they provide drama they're, they're going to go off like hand grenades <laughs> yeah. tremendous idea
0: yeah i think there's uh I, I don't know. It's it's one of those things in the plot where I, I'm never really quite sure why it's done. But obviously, the first pod germinates and uh, takes over. Is it Winlet yeah. um, in in the Antarctic base? And of course, at the end of part two, it's all blown up and destroyed. <laughs> but the second pod, which no one would have known about, by the way, had the Doctor not said that they travel in twos, like policemen. Um, and the Doctor unearthing it um, from the ice. It's really th- this whole thing, or well, certainly parts three through to six. Is it the doctor's fault? Because <laughs> he gets the other part. Yeah. Why does he get the
2: other part? Just to make sure no one grubby, I don't know grubby humans get. Other their hands than like, the fact that we need. Well, more episodes. Once, they, once
1: they found one there, aren't they going to find the other? I mean, that's the thing. Isn't, <laughs> isn't Harrison Chase going to send somebody to get the other one if he knows exactly where?
0: <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Because the doctor's already mentioned to Dunbar in the office, hasn't he? That he's they, seen him before. Yeah.
2: Um, so maybe I'm not sure I th- I He means to grab it To take it away And get rid of it I'll oh, well, we'll just put it Somewhere else But then Scorby intervenes And then yeah. you've got The the old uh, thing From uh, Another World Bit of an influence there But it's great That claustrophobic base And the big explosion Are they trapped outside Yeah it's definitely when,
1: when I when I was a kid um, I always imagined What the crinoid homeworld Might be like <laughs> Because it's hard to imagine them fitting into an ecosystem, <laughs> that's but it's right. pretty nightmarish. Well,
2: I suppose <laughs> if it's if it's a planet that's I mean, at the seed pod that they found in Antarctica, I suppose it's travelled through space. It Must be a giant. A planet that just germinates seeds and fires
0: them into space. Yeah, which is what the Doctor says, doesn't he? Oh, it? really? Yeah, like the, the, there's some sort of volcanic activity that takes these pods in pairs out into the deepest, darkest uh, corners of the universe and they find uh, planets. I think I think it's a great idea. I know that the second pod is really only there so that we do get episodes three through to six, but I don't care. I just no. love the idea. I love the idea that they're travelling to is I love the fact that we've got, you know, the Thing from Another World, is to say, Dan, is mm. basically the, the film that's ripped off in, in the first two parts. And then the Triffids, essentially, yeah. for for the rest of the story, which is um, a story, I guess that Fantastic. I think a lot of school kids would have uh, would would have known about and would, would have definitely have identified.
2: Great book, and then yeah, and just that, and then also we get then we get to see another person get infected, Keela, yes. which is just great. That it sounds weird to say, but it's great fun <laughs> watching him get get infected by. Well, a
1: especially since we know what's coming to some people. yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, and then we um, get to see Keela kick up a notch in his because I love I love Keela in this um, Mark Jones he plays that sort of panicky. Science, Panicky scientist. 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 Yeah. Uh, but he does it. But he's also, he's under the, he's under the thumb. And Scorby's so menacing and terrifying. He's, I he, Maybe he's got a choice, but he, he's pretty locked into a corner.
0: And then he gets, and he's the one who gets affected. I love how he's played. So you're right. Oh, yeah. there's, there's sort of, I kind of like, again, like Dunbar and Scorby. These are, he's a sort of real life character. You could mm. see him in another show. And, you know, he's just so happens that he's walked onto the set of Doctor Who this week. Um, he's got a scientific curiosity that a scientist would have. And obviously, yeah, he's fallen with the wrong crowd and mm. the money's too good and he can't really back out, much like Hargreaves at this point. And he's stuck there. And, and, and then, it's,
2: f- then it's fear that keeps him in because he's yeah. not sure how
0: to get out of it. Like he doesn't know how to get out of a situation. And
2: then he's really screwed when he's uh, infected. And then he spends this few, this, that episode really pleading on the bed to be oh, freed and that's just so It's horrific, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. It, is there a bit where he pleads to Hargreaves? Hargreaves? Yeah, to yes, and
1: Hargreaves just just ignores him. Uh, Well, doesn't ignore him. He's very, very, very polite. (laughs) (laughs) As you'd expect,
0: a upper class butler to be cold. So cold.
1: (laughs) And um, it, it's not many Doctor Who stories where you can say every member of the supporting cast is uniformly excellent. Mm. and This is, is one
0: agreed. Yeah, yeah. even yeah. down to the the three on the Antarctic base. Yeah, um, I, th- I think it's a, it's a high quality story in, in every regard, not least because of the uh, the acting performances from everyone.
2: The well, first time you see Winlet, even uh, he's a he's a relatively minor character. The yeah. well, first time you see him. Come around the corner as a fully infected crinoid dude. It's really scary. Mm. Really, like really does it. Does it well?
0: Yeah, the makeup's great for sure. Uh, and can I mention just a, a nice little shout out that we get to see the axons again? <laughs>
1: yeah, the uh, the repurposed. Looking better. <laughs> How do they do that? They make them look
0: better. Maybe. Well, you know, green is the color of monsters, so. Uh, <laughs> So, no, I, th- I think it's a it's a great um, reuse of the, the old Axon um, monster uh, costume from back in, what would have been, season eight, mm. wouldn't it? Close mm. of Axos.
1: This, this story also uh, is meaningful for me in terms of my television career in that um, I did an episode of the British medical show Casualty uh-huh. where... Um, I named every supporting character after a character from this story you've got to be kidding me genius that's <laughs> no, I really did and there was no other story I could do that this was, this was the only one with enough normal sounding everyday names <laughs> and, and, and I tried and tried but unfortunately I couldn't get Scorby to get Dunbar at any point but... <laughs>
2: that's amazing did you, was Keeler a coward?
1: Um, yes. <laughs> uh, that's excellent. Oh, man.
0: I don't think we get casualty here, but that's worth, might, might be worth the YouTube, you see remember, whether, I remember <laughs> see it whether we can kid. find it. Because <laughs> oh, you grew up in England, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, so I remember, it's always on, It's one of those shows that's just always on,
2: like mm-hmm. always on, it's run for so long. Um, and who's, but, who have we got left? It's just um, Sylvia Coleridge as Amelia Ducar. Wow. Oh, Isn't she so so wonderful? Yeah. Oh my goodness. and.
1: So, uh, 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 And Tom always loves a a fruity elder lady actor. He really
2: does. (laughs) Didn't he? I I read that he was so impressed with her that he kind of floated the idea of having her as the next companion. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That would have been so... Just imagine the two of them just like leisurely, just like rambling through an adventure. (laughs) Being laconic (laughs) and... uh, (laughs) Casual and just like lots of witty (laughs) put-downs. That would have been so great.
1: (laughs) That would, that would be worth a season, I think <laughs> so. Oh, and, and actually, at the end of the story, he actually invites um, oh, Sir Charles okay. Grover of the World Ecology Bureau to come into the target.
0: Sir Colin Thackeray, yes. <laughs>
1: Colin Thackeray. And... Um, so, what would the next two stories have have been like on that basis? I mean, Oscar Mandragora he could <laughs> he could talk about the oranges, in the in, well, I'm I'm pretty sure we're in, in Italy, and um, well, Emily and he Dick would sort could have sort bumble- of she could have done. Bumbled it it. through that, and then in the hand of fear, of course, he'd be back home.
0: <laughs> Perfect
2: little side trip for him. Um, there's a few that, that happened, in, didn't that happen in like um, Zygons as well that season? Same rider, and it was. Uh, didn't they invite the Brigadier onto the TARDIS uh, and um, and the Duke? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Imagine just like one, just the, the next episode, ev-
2: just the next, just one more episode, just one episode where they're just like all bumbling around having a good time, just on right, hol- that even would mean. on holiday.
1: That would be the Duke of Forgel in Planet of Evil, which (laughs) I I would love to see. Well,
0: they could only have uh, made it a bit more interesting. So this story was meant to have featured uh, the Brigadier and Sergeant Benton, at least, in uh, a reprise of, much in the same way that we saw them in Terror of the Zygon, which is also penned by Robin Banks-Stewart. Unfortunately, uh, I guess there mustn't have been enough in the script to warrant um, Nicholas Courtney um, coming back, because I think think he may have turned this down.
1: Yeah, he did. Um, Basically, um, he had a kind of dispute going on with the show at this time Mm. that... Um, they expected him to sort of hang around and be available to be the brigadier mm. without him being a regular cast member and getting a, a salary to be the brigadier oh. and to be available. So, like, Now, a, I did no, hear so, about this. Yeah. So, like,
2: because they had Delgado on retainer. In the same way, yeah. Ainley. This goes
0: back to the pert we years where and they treated um, Nicholas Corton in, oh. in the same fashion, where they'd, he'd sort of appear in the first um, story of the season and the last and not, not much in between. Because
2: so they, they always had the master on retainer and mm. so he'd get paid no matter how many episodes. So they always try to shoot on the master in. So you're saying that... Um, Um, Courtney didn't have the same arrangement
1: well because he he could not therefore um, he felt that he wanted to go and find other work yeah but if they were going to make him part of the format again briefly, then that made it really awful, awkward. So, a couple of times, um, I think he's not available for the android invasion. That's right. And for this, he turns them down. Mm. And
2: so we've got um, Major, Major Ge- Genericford.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> And
2: Sergeant Guy Got Mulched. I'm not sure what his name <laughs> anyway.
0: But it's true, isn't it? Instead, we get a pseudo unit where we don't know any of the characters, we haven't seen them before, we don't really. Ha- um, I don't want to say we don't care about them but we're not invested in them in the same way that we have mm-hmm. been uh, for years and years now with the unit family but it's kind of worse than that because even when we first are introduced to the unit family and that is way back in the invasion which is a story that we'll do next month, um, we've we've actually got a real rapport between the doctor and the brigadier or back then as it was the, the, um, the Colonel Lethbridge Stewart and then in the second um, unit, or well, the first proper unit story but the second Nicholas Courtney story we get introduced to um, John Levine as as, as Sergeant Benton. Uh, and there's a wonderful chemistry between the actors and the guest stars. That's not really apparent here for me, I, I don't think. I well, don't really have much time to do it, I guess. That's true. And that's probably oh, well, this why. Is
1: a no, this would be a nothing part for Nicholas Straughan. Mm, yeah. Um, is, and so I mean,
2: there is tension. It, and there is tension and they've got to dial up the jets and there's, you know, there's, they're trying to get out of the house. But is it a deus ex machina? I mean, is it just units sort of come in and fixed it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is. And um, I, I think that they've sort of painted themselves into a corner in that they've the Doctor hasn't really been presented with any convenient plot mechanism to get rid of the <laughs> plant, which, which escalates the tension wonderfully. But that means, equally, he hasn't got any way to solve this.
2: I, I mean, I'm not complaining about having RAF fighter jets blow up a mansion that's a pretty great ending but I mean yeah
0: mm. but, but the problem for me is that it isn't particularly Doctor Who enough sure. um, you know there's the uh, there's reference even made earlier in the story about how blowing it up isn't going to work because it's just going to spread the, the seeds all over the place anyway so it's sort of like well is this <laughs> the best thing to do I, I honestly thought the first time um I came back to this after probably about 10 years, you know, that first time that I watched in those half memories on the ABC, there was that moment where they, um, Scorby and the doctor are using the plant poison and it was like, oh, Lord, brilliant, that's, that's all you need there. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe Unit could dump like a, a few lorry loads from, a, <laughs> from an RAF fighter. I assume the World Ecology Bureau
2: has a massive stockpile of, um, of weed killer somewhere <laughs> <laughs> loaded onto fighter jets.
0: But no, um, that would have been a clever thing to do, but they didn't do it in the end.
1: It's an odd choice. And and equally there's that really odd ending <laughs> where nobody nobody's nobody's paid any attention to the internal continuity here. So the Doctor and Sarah Jane go back to um, the snowy wastes um, to find the TARDIS, but that's not where they landed the TARDIS. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's been six and
1: weeks, no one really remembers. Yeah. <laughs> and they have they have that really strange end line which baker and sladen obviously don't get so they they do a bit on it they kind of um they make it into a big exaggerated laughing together underlining something that's not quite their thing but are we yet to come (laughs) like it like it means something to them but which, me, which me, makes it mean something to us because otherwise it wouldn't work at all because what the hell? What are they talking about?
0: <laughs> Paul, it's just the uh, classic Doctor Who crap joke with which to end the story. Crap <laughs> joke ending.
1: <laughs> it's a joke I don't get. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, crap uh, joke, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think perhaps what we've got here is an ending that comes from a different draft to the very first scene. Oh. That... Um, that there was something about that, that originally, perhaps they ant- landed at the Antarctic, and there was something about them being in the wrong time or something like that. So this or, and and it might have been smoothed out and made more linear that Robert Holmes forgot to adjust the ending. Yeah. Busy man, which which is actually actually gallopingly bad i mean that is not <laughs> that is not very professional all in all
0: this is why we need a, a doctor who writer on our podcast to explain these things to us everywhere <laughs> Every well month. that's
1: just that's just a theory i've not no idea if that's true or not
0: <laughs> i think it makes perfect sense yeah now that you mention it for sure yeah
2: script editor that's his that's
0: his that's his job must have been um, must have been a busy guy yeah, by all accounts, Bob Holmes certainly was um, that season in, in doing a lot of rewrites, you know? I think, I think yeah. Would, I think much like Terence Dix during The Poet We Use um, and even before that in The Trouton and sort of last season six, he would have done a lot of uncredited rewrites and work yeah. on the scripts. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of David Agnew oh, yeah. work. A lot of David
1: Agnew work. <laughs> the, um, the, 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 that one solid voice, first of Terence and then of Robert Holmes, mm. is really important to the texture of Who.
3: I mean, oh Terence basically
1: wrote the third draft of every single script yeah, for yeah. about six years there. I, th- I think
2: the f- the f- like, you know, after my, like, as a kid watching Silk McCoy and then moving to Australia and finding Dr. Who again, but mostly I found it the through target books. the target books. Yeah. N- nearly, like, I'd say 75% of the first, you know, target books that I would have read would have been by Terence Dix or stories that were script edited by Bob Holmes. It's a huge influence. Yeah,
0: I agree. And I keep saying that Terrence Dix is the man who most understands the mechanics of Doctor Who. He's also the man who's responsible for at least one generation of children learning how to read, certainly in my my case. (laughs) And how that man does not have a knighthood for services to childhood literacy, I do not know. There's got to be a campaign started, but Terrence Dix is is ingrained into my uh, psyche in terms of storytelling. He's a a giant... Definitely got a place in my heart. Yeah.
1: I I really would like to see an OBE at the very least. I agree,
0: yeah.
2: Of
1: course. Um, All right, okay. um, Oh, sorry. Yeah, so um, amazing, amazing stuff. Um, Kind of what Doctor Who is about. Perhaps... Um, Not the best story to start with in one sense, in that next week you'll be wondering what happens next with the World Ecology Bureau. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, so
2: so I guess we'll finish by asking you the question, Mm. Paul, that we ask at the end of every um, story. Why should we watch this? Why should anyone watch this?
1: Um, because it's a gallopingly entertaining mixture of comedy and horror, uh, which is exactly right for the family type audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well put. Definitely can't argue with that. I
0: think you're absolutely right. And um, again, it's another example of Doctor Who for me at one of its um, you know great zeniths. Um, Hinchcliffe and Holmes are really in their stride at this point. Yeah. This great. is a great story. Douglas Camfield is the director. Great crew. Great production
2: team. Yeah. Great, um, great ca- like great cast. Not only the two mains who were a out. classic yeah. but yeah definitely a great ensemble
1: one one thing um, nobody can make an attack by vegetation look good um, <laughs> <laughs> even, even David Lynch in the last year has failed to make an attack by vegetation <laughs> look good <laughs> yeah, totally. and um, but here they do the wonderfully sensible thing of just letting an actor act it as Scorby mm. runs across the grounds and they've got a wind machine going and so the plants are whipping around him. Yeah. And he acts like they're attacking him without anybody, you know, waving thorns at him or something like <laughs> yeah. that. And, and he doesn't... And, and that sells it a lot better
2: than, than... He doesn't, like, do it by halves. He really goes for it. He's like, this is, do you, this do you know is crazy. To do it twice this as well? Is, he must have been like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I bet it looks terrible, but I don't care. I'm going to do my job and I'm going to nail this. And he did. <laughs> he did, I yeah. Possibly.
1: Yeah. And he, he, he finally strangles himself to my feet in the pond,
0: yes. <laughs> <laughs> My hat's off to John Chalice for that. Cool, all right, so... Uh, now, I guess it's time now to play a game that we like to play here on, on, on Uduhur. Paul, would you indulge us as we play Cliffhangers, Crackers or Clangers? <laughs> oh, delighted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're into this, I'm glad you're into the cheese Okay, fun. so it's the end of part one uh, And we have the classic Doctor Who end of part one monster reveal As the human crinoid hybrid is revealed And strangles one of the Antarctic base uh, guys What do we think? It's good, it's, it's a monster reveal, I've yep. got no problems
2: with it It's so mm. it's quick, it's nasty, and it's weird <laughs> I'm into it, it's a cracker for me
1: it, it's it's a cracker it's merely great however and there are there are yeah. better to come
0: <laughs> speaking of we get to the end of episode two and really the end of the antarctic the thing from another world uh, portion of this six-parter and well scorby's laid a bomb and the whole of the antarctic base blows to smithereens what do we think i'm a simple man and ending <laughs> an, ending a cliffhanger with an explosion
2: especially at an antarctic base because that means you're going to be out in the cold like what are you, what are you going to do you're stranded yeah it's so like the end of I, I love John Carpenter's The Thing I love that movie mm-hmm. uh, I deeply love it and it kind of ends the same way they blow up the base and then they're stranded so uh, I love this one
0: it's a it's cra- a cracker major me. Major Cracker okay
1: it, it is a cracker, but it feels more like an ending than a cliffhanger, it must be said. Oh, yeah.
0: good That's point, True. yeah. It very much rounds off those two part, uh, first two parts, doesn't it? And it is, it is a 2 plus 4 in, in... Very much. Well, you mentioned Talons isn't that way. You know, we get a 4 plus 2, but it's kind of a 6 all in. Um, whereas this one definitely does feel like two separate stories mm. joined by the the crinoid. Nonetheless, it is pretty good. The model work looks amazing. Yeah, I like it. Uh, yeah, for, for 1975, what five seventy six PVC, I reckon they're uh, they're on form here. Mm. So it's a cracker for me mm. too. Unanimous, carried. Episode three. <laughs> so this this one. Wow. Okay. So the second pod has been taken back to England and back to Harrison Chases mansion. It's, uh, it's been slowly brought to germinate, and what we see is the, <laughs> the henchman holding Sarah down as the, the, uh, the pod germinates, and a little tendril yeah. starts to sneak out. What do we think?
1: Well, oh, amazing! <laughs> Absolutely through the roof, cracker! I mean, that's that's what you're after. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like you said, it's we've seen we know what's going to happen because we've seen it before, and it makes it a little more sort of like um, dread-filled. It's
0: just and it's Sarah Jane. Like yes, Sarah. That's what makes it. It's the fact that it is Sarah Jane, who, and it's like how is she going to get out of this? There's no way. We know what's happened before. Mm. We saw it with Winlet. He's been taken over, and he becomes a, you know one of those crinoid monsters. Um, and I don't know whether they sort of did this sort of thing back then, but um, it is the end of the season, um, and you did mention that this was potentially meant to have been Sarah Jane Smith's final story. Is that um, something that they tried to signal or hint at or play with in any would way, do you have, think? Would she have, like, announced that she was would they have I don't know that whether they leaving? did that. I mean, they didn't do spoilers back then like they do now. Yeah, right.
1: Mm, they wouldn't they wouldn't have um announced to the public until she was definitely off.
0: Mm. Um
1: it was the end it was the end of her contract. I think she had to actually re-sign right. for those ah. two more stories. Uh,
0: a killer. Killer he really cracker is. Cliffhanger. Yep. amazing. Okay, we go on to end of episode four and the doctor and Sarah are running through the grounds of Harrison Chase's English country garden. They turn a corner and they're menaced by the mature form of the crinoid, which slowly and inexorably rolls towards them in a mass
1: of green. Oh, and then speeds up right at the end. Kind of <laughs> roll, 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 roll. I, I, I think they over-cranked the camera just in those few seconds to make it actually suddenly speedy.
2: <laughs> is it the first time you see the, the megacrinoid? Um, it, it is in this part, yeah, definitely. Yeah, this one's, this one's okay for me. It's, not, it's like another reveal. It's pretty it's pretty good. It's just a bit a little bit awkward. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's not quite a cracker. Yeah. I yeah. Shall we say. call it a cranger?
2: Let's call it a cranger. <laughs> it's not I wouldn't call it a, a major clanger. No. Okay. no,
0: it's not there's no clang about it, but uh, I think I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the direction, maybe it's the uh as you say the sort of cranking of the camera where it sort of speeds up towards the end. <laughs> there is a bit of uh, an arbitrary sort of threat um thrown in at the end of this, you know, 23 and a half minute mark for it to be a cliffhanger, but yeah, it's still pretty good. Okay. Um, end of episode five, and basically we've got the crinoid uh, looming into view, um, and it's now absolutely enormous, towering over the um, the house, and the doctor and his companions and Scorby are trapped outside. I love that they let it that
2: they that they got to do it so big, and that it didn't look terrible. I just wasn't expecting it to be so huge And I'm so glad that it looked so great I just love it, yeah, it's a monster And then the tentacles coming in the windows and stuff It's classic, brilliant, I love it
1: Yeah, given that it looks so good yeah. That size cracker Yeah, yeah, um, yeah totally it, In that that's, that's actually, for the audience at home The surprise that they've not only done it They've done it really well Yeah, it
2: could have gone, gone very Loch Ness Monster From Zygons, <laughs> yeah.
0: but it didn't It looks really great yeah, that's a good point, point. and I think we mentioned before it was the use of the. Um, well, I guess you know not the use of film for the outdoor location work for the outside broadcast work. We get the videotape instead. That that really adds to it. Even though I'm more of a fan of film, I mm. think when when, sure. when shooting outside, in this case, it really does work. And it's not it's not sort of um, badly done, CSO. It's pretty no, decent. It's great. I've got yeah. the hang of it by now. Definitely since, um, since Per Yeah. <laughs> And lastly, well, we've mentioned it before, but the end of Part 6 ends in the Antarctic waste. It's The Doctor and Sarah stood outside the original TARDIS set, and I think this is the last appearance of yeah. it. Apparently collapsed on, on uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Sladen. That's scary to be in that tiny dark box and that just falls on you. And, uh, well, we get the, you know, the bit of a the bit of a BBC Doctor Who end of story crap joke. Um, have we been or are we yet to come? I'm going to say it. it's a clanger. Yeah, it's a clanger. It's fine.
1: It's a clanger. <laughs> five out of six.
2: But five right. out of six. I, yeah, I think it's exactly. probably a, it's probably a record at this point for us. I
1: think
0: it might be. You know, yeah. I think I think one of those things that they um, what Robin Banks do, does really well is the uh, the cracker endings. We saw it with Terror of the, Year, the Zygons as well. I think each of those were very good and it ended in a similar way with the uh, the joke about uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the frugal Scotsman. <laughs>
1: How hard would it be just to end with the pleased and um, puzzled expression on the face of Colin Thackeray? Oh (laughs) yeah, earlier,
3: yeah.
2: (laughs) Bring it back to the um, the powerhouse organisation, the World Ecology Bureau.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again, Paul, for indulging us and for playing along with cliffhangers, crackers, or clangers. And now we're going to do another segment uh, that we're trying to do every
2: month, uh, which is where we ask um, the wonderful Bridget, uh, who's <laughs> sometimes been a guest and um, often watches with us. We're mm. going to ask, uh, "What did Bridget think?" For an outside opinion, let's find out.
3: Now it's my turn.
2: So, Bridget, thanks for joining us. What did you What did you think of Seeds of Doom?
3: Dudes. I love this crazy get-up. <laughs> I think it was my favourite episode I ever saw in the world.
2: Really? Your favourite so far? Yeah,
3: there were so many, like, good teeth moments, oh, 70s teeth moments, English teeth moments. So there many. was, like, lots of dudes in skivvies. There was lots of, like, really, really bad guys. Just, like, so bad. It's just like... ah. Uh,
2: you love a you love a 70s man in a skivvy with a bad haircut don't you
3: yeah dude and there was a lot (laughs) of that there was like this is the episode if you want to see a 70s bad guy in in a skivvy and a leather jacket and funny hair with fringe this is your episode (laughs) i loved it also i like that companion Sarah Jane only just met her today She's awesome Oh you've Good not seen outfits. her before No Oh
0: wow oh, Okay no. So this is this is one of Dan's favourites We've heard before yeah. Sarah Jane Smith Yeah well, I, mean, I want to know what Bridget thought Because I, I can't believe You've never seen Sarah Jane before
3: No No I haven't So
0: how does she strike Well
3: I just like can't, can't stop looking at her hair. I know that's weird, but it's perfect and beautiful, and it's, it's been blow dried in this way where you're just like, "Wow, that's so cool!" And from another time. But yeah, I do. I think she's 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 a bit more like, "Ah, help me, save me." than some of the other companions. I don't know. She did she cry out for help to be saved. She got trapped a bunch of times, and the doctor came and saved her a bunch of times did, in that episode. I did notice it she did save him almost once, and then almost not because they were like, "Ah." That's the wrong button Turn it the other way Oh Oh, this is in the mulcher scene
2: Yeah Yeah. But she One thing I noticed When she was in the uh, mulcher At the end She she realised what was happening Didn't scream Yeah that's true actually Yeah She's not really A big screamer She's not a screaming Helpless companion Really
3: After those six episodes You wouldn't have Any screams left (laughs) It was pretty intense There's this like Danger for about like a week
0: okay and this is actually a really uh, important point because this is the first time we've done six parts how did you find it is it a slog to get through
3: oh there's a little bit where i fell asleep for about 10 minutes (laughs) then i woke up and there was a cool synth bit happening i was like oh sick that guy plays a sick synth so i woke up for some reason but yeah there was about five minutes i can't remember but mostly i thought it was awesome
2: can't believe harrison chase was a synth a synth dork that's (sighs) so perfect
3: That was so random. (laughs) So weird. So good. 70s rules.
2: So, what did you think of the villains? What did you think of um, Chase and Scorby?
3: They just could not get any meaner They were just so mean but they were so dumb They didn't follow through with any of their murderous plots They were like ha 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 I have you now I'm going to set this bomb off Bye ha, 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 I have you now I'm going to chuck you in this mulcher I'm sure you'll die Bye <laughs> Hey I'm going to do this stupid thing For like a hundred times But never ever just went oh, I'm just going to shoot you in your head And you're going to die Yeah. Okay. Done that Next. Like it was everything had to be this elaborate plot That never worked out they were just like the most ridiculous, awesome villains. It's a bit James Bond, huh? Upper class so villains so don't
0: just don't just shoot people in the head.
2: It's <laughs> uh, so mean, it's though. Them.
3: He's just wanted to kill people. Yeah. Scor- funsies.
0: Scorby was like particularly nasty. He, d- he sort of stands out. He's not a typical, like an, a f- kind of fluffy Doctor Who villain. He's just hmm. straight out and out mean.
3: Yeah. And you get that because the skivvy. Yeah. And the tiny fringe. Like, <laughs> and that
0: evil
2: goatee.
3: Oh, the evil goatee. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Yeah, dude. He's badass. And Chase? Yeah, he was a typical mastermind villain, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, a little bit.
3: I got him confused with the other guy in the early episode that I watched with you guys. City
2: of Death? You mean uh, yeah. Julian Julian Glover's oh, character, Carl Scalioni? That's Kurt a good
3: point, yeah. They're I, very similar. I just wonder if there is like... So yeah, I, I wonder if there is a Doctor Who villain type, like the, you know, 70s guy.
0: White hair. Black, gloves.
3: Part, very black gloves. Very rich. Black gloves. Very rich.
0: Bitter bean. Someone who doesn't like to do the villainous stuff himself has henchmen to do it for yeah, him. or a beard. Yes. Yeah. Or a, or a beard.
3: <laughs> it was very, very entertaining from a retro sense. I enjoyed this episode so much.
2: What was your favorite part?
3: Oh, I like the bits where the plants came alive and started to kill people. <laughs> Strangle people. But I think it was that weird synth moment. Because why? <laughs> Whoa. Also, I really liked Sarah Jane's outfit with the, with the collots with the... The shorts. The 70s. Yeah. And the well. dungarees
2: at the start in Antarctica. Oh,
3: the dungarees. Divine. The Antarctica dungarees. <laughs> she is so great. I could watch her all day. Just come out with different outfits. Also, um, Tom Baker is just so outrageous in in these episodes. He is, like, just random, the things he says. It's like, that probably wasn't scripted. So Bridget says yes. <laughs>
0: Bridget says yes. So you, gotta, you
3: guys, if you, if you have a disinterested spouse, this is a good one to get them into <laughs> Doctor Who because it's actually, it's good. It's good.
2: So you'd recommend this not only to people who are new to Classic Who but who are being forced to watch Classic Who by people who love it?
3: Yes, nice. Yeah, that is exactly what I'm saying.
2: <laughs> Which is exactly what you are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh.
3: I do, I'm getting into this way. Hey. You guys are going to tip me over the edge. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, there you have it, That's the verdict for Bridget.: Nice. Yes. I think uh, I think that was a good pick.:
3: I'll give it 10 out of 10 for retroness and awesomeness. <laughs> I'll give it 10 out of 10 skivvies. Your Your disinterested spouse will love it. probably only fall asleep for five minutes because. It was good. And long and long. But good. Nice. All right.
2: Thank uh, you. Oh, are you going to write a song for us this time?
3: Dude. Sorry. It's 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 going to be synth heavy. But yes. <laughs>
2: well, you got to you got to nurture the plants with your music.
3: <laughs> Harmony. All right. So we
2: advise don't don't have any pop plants around when when the music starts for this one cuz they may strangle you.
3: <laughs> you may strangle yourself with the sounds of 100 retro synths that I will put on this track. Okay.
0: <laughs> So there it is. Uh, it's a thumbs up from Bridget. Okay, so we're going to continue to uh, do what we have done over the past few months here on UDAHOO, and that is to share the love with other podcasts. We have two Australian recommendations, they really are fantastic. Mm. The first, um, a very influential, a very clever um, and a wonderful um, collection of gentlemen on flight through entirety, Mm. who, as the podcast name suggests, start with the very first episode and go all the way through to the end. And they don't take, they don't skip anything. No, they don't. (laughs) Unlike us, we get to do the good bits. But they have done an incredible, um, really sort of critical approach to each of the Doctor Who stories. Yeah, they
2: come at it from a lot of different angles.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, I learned a lot. uh, Yeah. But also deeply entertained it is very
0: funny and uh, and Brendan uh, Todd Richard and Nathan um, have a wonderful chemistry the four of them usually three will sit around and and chat as as good friends do about Doctor Who so that's probably definitely worth a listen I agree Yeah. so um, flight through entirety the other one is the well the fantastic the wonderful flagship that is uh, the Doctor Who show with Rob Irwin and Dave Kitchen uh, based out of Sydney and Melbourne these gents well even-handed wonderful approach to current uh, affairs in Doctor Who and also um looking back uh, at the entire history of the show as well. Mm-hmm. Those gents are wonderful and there's a real array of shows that show up on that feed on the Doctor Who shows so uh, again another one of our favourites and really worth checking out. All right, well then pretty much all most of all that's left is to say thank you so much again
2: to oh, Paul Cornell yes, for joining thank us. thank you Paul that was Cornell. Fun.
1: Well thank you for having me
0: (laughs) And Paul we know that you're a busy man You're obviously uh, a writer Who um, has uh, your own series of novels That are coming out Would Would you like to tell us about that And also your podcast that's just recently started
1: Yes, thank you. Right now I'm on my own flight through entirety as um, myself and Liz Miles of the Verity podcast mm. are watching all of the Hammer horror movies in all. Oh, wow. And we're doing a podcast called um, Hammer House of Podcast. <laughs> and uh, also, if, if you're a patron of ours, we're also watching all of the Amicus Portmanteau movies as well oh, wow. um, for patrons only. Um, so I'm very much enjoying that right now. Um, this coming year... Um, I'm finishing up Source Estate my um, comic that um, matches American politics to UFO mythology Ooh. and um, I hope you enjoy my novelization of Twice Upon a Time which should be out later yes. this year oh cool <laughs> I didn't know that oh that's
0: lovely that's gonna be great that'll be fun
1: Target size, target style, <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I'll be adding them to my collection. You can bet. <laughs> how many how many Hamahoras
2: are there?
1: Um, there's lots. Yeah. a lot of Peter, <laughs> um,
2: a lot of Peter Cushing, a lot yeah. of uh, Christopher Lee. I imagine.
1: Yeah, we are, we are we are planning um, a podcast that lasts many years here. Awesome. Oh, great! I can, I can Wonderful. Look I'm looking
0: forward to because I'm a bit of um, a bit of a hammer amateur, I, yeah. I'd say. I've only seen surface. a few, yeah, yeah, but I'd love to know cool. more about them, particularly because of their influence on on Doctor Who, yeah, and, and in particularly in the Hinchcliffe and Holmes years.
1: Well, we we offer context, and Doctor Who fans especially, I think, should uh, check out our second episode, X the Unknown, which mm-hmm. forms the basis of basically all of the unit years. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, I'm downloading that now. <laughs> Thanks again, well, Paul. it's not out yet. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: <laughs> all right, great. Well, um,
2: all we've got left is to say thank you once again to Bridget for joining us, and um, as always, to Cole for our theme
0: tune. Yeah. Um, I love that thing.
1: Shout out to Cole. Okay, sweet Dorks, you can buy the DVD of The Seeds of Doom from BBC Online, or buy and download the episodes from iTunes.
2: You can follow New to Who on Twitter at at New to Who Podcast. And also Facebook if you want, or you can even email us at nudahoopodcast at
0: gmail.com. All our episodes can be found at newtohoo.com, on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you feel like clicking subscribe or leaving a review, please do, as these things are a
1: wonderful help to us. We hate goodbyes, Scorby. So until next time, I'm Paul. (laughs) I'm Dan. And I'm Stephen. Be seeing you. Now I shall play you my Requiem, my Floriano Requiem. A unique privilege. The last things you will ever see will be my
0: beautiful plants. Floriano Requiem. Please come this way. Please come.